Periodically, we are reminded of the problem of disposing of old vehicle tyres. Now, there's been a number of suggestions as to what we should do, but there is concern that the cure may be worse than the disease, with a lot of side effects. Burning them, for example, just adds to air pollution. Now, the Australian startup Green Distillation Technologies says it has a solution that is both effective and profitable. Their Chief Operating Officer is Trevor Bailey, who joins us on the line now. Trevor, thanks very much for your time. Good morning, no worries. Now, we're told it's a big problem. How big is big? If we look at the global situation, there's about one and a half billion tyres reach their end of life every year. If we narrow that down to Australia, it's generally recognised as being one tyre per head of population. So we're around 26 million in Australia per year. Now, you already have a demonstration plant up and running, don't you? That's correct. It's actually the first module of six of our first commercial plant in Warren in New South Wales. You have some overseas interest as well? Uh, Well, that's coming in thick and fast right now because uh, this is not just an Australian problem. It is global. And some of the other methods, as you alluded to earlier, are not exactly economically sound or environmentally friendly. So we're getting a huge amount of interest from overseas. Plus the fact that the Australian dollar is so weak at the moment, it makes it quite an attractive proposition. We'll come to some of those other solutions as well, but what are the basic elements of your process? The basic elements are that we have an air-free environment to which is added heat and The addition of heat creates a chemical reaction within the tyre which releases the carbon in a hydrocarbon combination which we can then condense into a usable oil and when all that's done we're left with a pile of carbon and steel. Processors have tried to have it burn with a more efficient process but you're eliminating that oxidation, the burning effect. Is, Is that as I understand it? Yeah, that's correct. I mean, there are other people doing similar things, but we've managed to refine the process to the point where there is no external impact to the reaction. So nothing actually comes out of the process other than what we control and direct. It's called tyre-derived fuel, where they just chuck it in a furnace and burn it to provide heat. And that has been a majority destination for end-of-life tyres, which is now shrinking because of the um, pollutant effects. So you actually have an enclosed oven? Yeah, yeah, yep, absolutely. And so, as I say, that stops the burning effect, which produces CO2, I suppose. Oh, well, yeah, in addition to CO2, it produces a whole bunch of noxious gases and smoke, black smoke. If you look at some of the riots they have in various parts of the world where they choose to burn tyres in the open, It's that sort of impact you get when you're burning tyres, even in a controlled furnace. The byproducts? You said oil was one. Oil was the original target for us. There are other processes which use heat to uh, destroy a tyre, and they get an oil which is unstable, has a very low flash point, and is not suitable for much, whereas the oil we produce, because of the controlled nature of our our, um, process, is a stable oil. It's 70% within the diesel range. It is easily refinable. And in the case of Queensland University of Technology, they demonstrated that it could be blended with fossil fuels 
for no loss of power and a reduction in nitrous emissions. So it's a very useful product. You use it to run the plant? (laughs) Yeah, we use it for our heat source. About 3% of the oil we produce, we we burn to provide the heat. It's the reaction that produces the oil. So, um, yeah, it's a closed loop in that regard. 3% is not a lot. I had a vision that you'd use most of it, but uh, really then it must... No, no. It must be very effective. Ah, it is. Uh, in the early stages, it was between 8 and 11%, depending on the time of year. Well, because we've been working with this now for about nine years, we've managed to get that down to about 2%, and we can probably get it down below that. Do you get steel out of it? Well, we process whole tyres, and a whole tyre is built around a steel skeleton. So, yes, we get the steel skeleton comes out in... What can I call it? It's not waste, obviously, but it's the... Uh, byproduct. Yeah, the solid residual byproduct, yeah. These recycle materials, they'll allay, I guess, some of the overhead costs, but is it enough for a profit or will you need to charge for each tyre? The situation with waste around the world is whatever the waste is, somebody has to pay for it to be processed. And in the case of tyres in Australia you pay a disposal fee, and it's that disposal fee that makes the whole project work. In the cases of our competition, where they cut tyres up, etc., almost the whole of the disposal fee, plus some, is used in the next process. So they're looking to put the price of disposal up. Whereas in our case, because we have those three valid products at the end of the process, it balances itself out. We cannot see... In the immediate future, the opportunity to cancel or reduce the tipping fee, but we can see in the long future that that will be a case where some of the products we produce will become a valuable commodity on the on a standard commodities market. For example, the oil itself and the carbon product, which needs further processing to fit into more expensive market. Has the process been evaluated independently? I think you mentioned Queensland University. Queensland University of Technology evaluated the products, as has New South- University of New South Wales, uh, Queensland University, and or University of Queensland, I think they call themselves, Massey University in, in New Zealand, and one whose name I can't pronounce in South Africa. <laughs> the process itself has been evaluated independently by a third-party expert and by a Japanese engineering company who came to do due diligence on behalf of a Japanese trading house that had an interest in investment. Intuitively, we can say burning them doesn't seem right, but you mentioned grinding them up. Is there a problem? You said an environmental problem with that? (laughs) Well, the tyre companies claim that a tyre will not biodegrade in 500 years. We haven't had them long enough to prove that, but we'll presume they're pretty close to accurate since they've spent a huge amount of money trying to make them indestructible. So if you grind them up, what are you doing? You're only reshaping the tyre. You're not actually doing anything with it. You're still left with vulcanised rubber, which at the end of the day will not biodegrade for 500 years. So what you do with that crumbed rubber, let's say, for example, you put it in a sporting surface in artificial grass, when the artificial grass reaches the end of its useful life, which it does, you're left with crumb rubber and it's going nowhere. And if we keep filling sporting surfaces with crumb rubber, 
all we're doing is redirecting the problem. We're taking it from a whole tyre stockpile to a crumb tyre stockpile. Is there a problem with the crumbs? There was some research out of the UK that said air pollution is not just what comes out of the tailpipe, but is microscopic bits off the tyres and the brakes. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I forget what they call that now, nanoparticles or something, but uh, yes. Certainly your tyre, when it's in use on the road, is wearing out and the crumbs that are microscopic are getting into the waterways and into the air and wherever else. But crumbed rubber as a destination for the recycling, depending on the size of the crumbs, it can be an a atmospheric environmental problem or just simply it gets washed down the waterways and ends up in the stormwater areas. So we as an industry, we as a part of an industry, particularly like the thought of crumbing rubber because, as I say, it's not actually solving the problem. It's just postponing it for a later uh, generation. But there is a space for crumbing in the market. And we're the last people to claim that, uh, you know, we're looking for global domination here. We're only looking for our share. But the more the better, some would argue. But (laughs) your plant is in Warren. Now, that's about 400 kilometres from Sydney, west of Sydney, it's out past Dubbo, 100 or more k's on the road out past Dubbo. Does it have to be in an isolated, a very isolated area? Not sure the people of Warren will appreciate the fact that <laughs> No, no, I wasn't trying to be derogatory. <laughs> no, no, no. The wide open spaces, let me put it the that selection way. Of, the selection of Warren was more emotional than commercial. That's where our inventor was living and he needed to be near the process. The good folk of Warren have been of huge support and assistance to us over the development stages, and that's basically the reason for Warren. It can operate as a commercial facility because there are sufficient tyres within a catchment area to make it work, but normally we would, certainly in the rest of Australia, we'd be looking at non-capital city, regional city type development where there's a lot more transport, long-haul transport rather than short burst transport. This is a weight-related business, so obviously the heavier the tyre, the better it is for us, so that takes us into the commercial vehicles as opposed to the passenger vehicles. Can you do the real big tyres, say, off dump trucks from a mine site? We can. That's a different process, a different design, and we have a joint venture business to operate that, and we have, in fact, processed seven or nine of those very big three-and-a-half to four-tonne tyres and with a very successful result and a very exciting process it is too. When you put in a, with four metres in diameter, weighs three-and-a-half tonne, you enclose it in a box and when you open the box a little while later, you're left with a pile of carbon and steel and a tank full of oil. It's a really exciting and gratifying process. You can actually sell or make use of the carbon, can't you? The carbon is what we term our sleeping giant. In this worst-case scenario, it's a substitute for or additive to coking coal because it has a very high calorific value and it's already crushed. So um, it's useful in the steel industry and other places where they run crushed coke through a furnace, a chain grate furnace. But the opportunities for carbon are huge. There are over 600 standards for carbon black in Australia and within several of those. We have arrangements with a company in New Zealand that has proven its capacity to be converted into 
battery-ready graphite, which is for us is the holy grail. That would certainly help us eliminate the cost of disposal for tyres. But we're a fair way off of that, and we have other processes which are quite simple that we can use to upgrade it so it can go back into the into the rubber tyre and rubber industry, which add its add to its value. The plant out at Warren, is that the first plant? Yep, that's the first of its kind in the world. And uh, we've had numerous visitors from various parts of the world coming to have a look in order to um, expedite the process of moving it to their country. And there's some sizable money being put up, isn't there? It certainly is. For plants overseas? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I was in South Africa a couple of weeks ago we are talking about three to five plants there, which is, you know, in round figures, 30 to 50 million Australian dollars. And the big one, of course, is the USA, where if you work on the rule of thumb of one tyre per head of population, we have about 300 million tyres. And uh, that's a situation that they are struggling with because they have traditionally been exporting a large percentage of those to India where they get processed in less than desirable circumstances or using it as tyre-derived fuel in cement kilns. So we have an arrangement with a company in North America who are gathering the, the funding to build 10 to 15 plants. So we're talking $100, $150 million. In the scheme of things, given the, the enormity of the problem, Forgive me, perhaps for naivety, but 50 to $150 million, there's got to be a lot of people out there that would be jumping at what appears to be a worldwide solution. If Uber is worth billions, <laughs> is Australia slow to this? Absolutely. Australia is a very strange market in terms of financial I don't know how to describe it. I was going to say acumen, but that's not fair. They're risk-averse, or they seem to be risk-averse. They don't have the confidence that anything new could possibly have been invented in Australia. It has to have come from somewhere else. The um, government legislation around waste management and around processes that could impact the environment is such that it have been done somewhere else before they will give it a permit. So whilst we call ourselves the innovation nation, we're not actually a wake-up to innovation at all where it comes to this type of thing. Absolutely, in terms of, you know, the high-tech stuff, the computer stuff and all that sort of business where there's no actual industry involved, then everybody's interested. Australian finance is, works on the basis where we're in today and out tomorrow and double down money. And... Um, you know, the long-term investment is hard to find in Australia. And generally speaking, we can't find it because they're not accustomed to having such opportunities here because nobody survives long enough for it to happen. So they invest their money in offshore activities. The Americans, on the other hand, they're prepared to take a risk. They jump in boots and all. They've got truckloads of cash laying around at the moment because there's no money in banks and the stock markets are proving to be... Um, a little bit of a disaster. So small enterprises such as us, which are currently unlisted, gives them the opportunity to ride the rocket, uh, to get in at an early stage, to see it take off, and then to go through the float business and leave it to somebody else. How much do you need for Australia to go ahead? 
we're out in the market at the moment looking for 30 million Australian dollars. 30 million Australian dollars will complete Warren, build our second plant in Toowoomba, lay the groundwork for our third plant where we have a number of sites that are identified and kick off our mining tyre program and get the uh, organisation structure in the United States organised to take advantage of the $150 million that's coming there from there. You mentioned that Australia can be inventive, and you mentioned that the guy who invented this lived in Warren. Who was he? Dennis is um, a remarkable individual. He grew up in Newcastle. He attended the University of Newcastle. He went to live in Indonesia, where he stayed for 30-odd years and was married to a local dignitary. And uh, he worked in the oil and gas industry during that time. He came back to Australia about 12 years ago and was trying to promote this program. He had spent some time in Warren and Narromine in that area because he had relatives up there. And uh, he was determined to take this project to the cotton industry because at that time, for every tonne of cotton produced, there was about six tonnes of waste which could only be burnt or buried, and he could convert that into oil and carbon. And so he had, in his words, secured some interest from the cotton co-ops. Unfortunately for Dennis, at the time, he was in about year eight of a 10 or 11-year drought, and they weren't growing any cotton. So he uh, was either, I'm sure he'd perhaps disagree, was lucky enough to come across Craig and I, and we um, persuaded him to change direction into tyres. What was your background? I've been a bit of a um, jack-of-all-trades, master of none. I was in the airline industry for a long time. We went to Japan on our honeymoon and stayed for 15 years. And I promoted cricket, published a magazine, translated the laws of cricket, organised tours, etc. While my wife continued to be the greatest, the best teacher of English in the country. Then I got a job as a project manager for a engineering group and we did some really good deals with General Motors in China so I became project manager for one of the projects and we moved to Shanghai for seven years and then I came back as project manager on a job we did for General Motors Holden in Melbourne uh, building their engine plant in 2007 yeah 2007 we came back to Australia why tyres? Did you see that through General Motors? What made you think of tyres? It was more my business associate, Craig, who's our CEO, who picked upon tyres. I'm involved because I had about eight years working with some major Japanese trading houses. I did these deals with uh, General Motors, with Nissan and with a couple of other international automotive companies for uh, this particular trading house. You know, I had some linkage, I had the language, and I had the capacity to encourage Japanese investment. Unfortunately, for this opportunity, it's way too young for them. The Japanese like mature industries rather than startups. They've been burnt too many times on startups. So um, that's how I, I got involved. Craig had the presence of mind to include me in his discussions and here we are today. He was the, the driver for tyres. I just went along for the ride. The driver for tyres has it, mm. and it is an interesting expression. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So do you need government support or encouragement? Um, the, government, the federal government have been fairly good to us. We've had 
a grant totaling about 2.7 million over the 10 years and the R&D tax incentive has been a great assistance to us um, you know being an innovator is not easy and when you start with a clean sheet of paper there is an awful lot of development work that goes on we chose to do it actually physically rather than in the classroom we um, decided that the best way to demonstrate this process was to do it rather than to throw it up on a piece of paper. So um, we haven't had any fortune with the state governments as yet. Uh, their application process is quite complex and complicated and you need a dedicated staff member or team to get access to some of this money uh, or alternate, well, you're not allowed to use a consultant because you have to pay for that independently. You can't take the consultant out of the out of the ground. Yeah, I mean, there's more room for governments to assist, but, um, you know, they're helping everybody else. And right now, it will probably not be a good time to go to government. Do you think that we will end up with overseas money and companies owning the businesses here in Australia? Uh, In our sector of industry, it's already happening. I mean, Rysseller is a great example of tremendous Australian invention which couldn't make it happen in Australia. They've gone overseas. And now, you know, their latest development of their technology is being built in the UK because they got more assistance from the government in the UK than they could in Australia. Who was that, sorry? Rysseller. L-Y-C-E-L-L-A. What do they do? What? Uh, they make oil out of cellulose, so uh, waste paper and uh, paper mills and that sort of stuff. And they've got a new technology, which I can't recall, maybe something to do with plastics, but in a similar area. I mean, they, they had to go overseas to make it happen. And they've, they've come back to Australia subsequently, but, um, you know, it, it's, like, it's like with us. We, our management team is all Australian. We don't want to go and live in the United States. But it may be that we have to go and live in the United States for a period of time to get this thing going so that we can then come back to Australia. Trevor, I wish you all the very best. Thank you very much for your time. My pleasure, and thanks for your interest. And that's Trevor Bailey, who is the Chief Operating Officer for Green Distillation Technologies that have and have demonstrated a process that can take old tyres from vehicles and turn them into usable products without creating too many, or if any, adverse side effects.